Praise the Lord. Heading to 1 Corinthians tonight. First Corinthians, continuing our series on this thought of without. Tonight is without love, I am nothing. Without love, I am nothing. We're going to start in First Corinthians chapter 12. First Corinthians is on page 1,248. Just so you all are aware. I'm just kidding, Mike. It's, maybe it is. In my Bible it is, but maybe not in yours. All right. We're start reading in verse uh, 31, the second part of verse 31, and then going on into chapter 13. Hmm. That was interesting. And in with uh, chapter 14, verse 1. Maybe I preached too long on Sunday and the batteries are given out for Wednesday. I don't know. So if we have to make a change, we will. We're going to read the entire chapter right now and then we'll kind of come back and kind of read little portions of it again as we kind of go through it tonight. Verse 31 of chapter 12, the second part of that, and it says, And yet I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clinging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I, possess, if I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not honor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire Gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Remember when you first fell in love? How blind you were? (laughs) Oh, that's a funny thought, isn't it? 
kind of blind to the faults of the people around you and your loved one and couldn't do enough for them and kind of get you something else to drink and kind of make you a sandwich and and now it's get your own sandwich. (laughs) I heard that. <laughs> you know, the, the thing with love is when love is just a basic feeling, feelings ebb and flow. But when love becomes a commitment and a covenant, that's something that's locked in. You know, we're going to talk about this idea of, of, of love. You know, we've talked about it before. Um, when we did a Revelation series, the churches in Revelation in Ephesus, Ephesus had lost their first love. Um, they had gotten over it, if you will. They had kind of just gone through the motions, and, and their love for God settled down to this cool temperature, if you will. It was still very productive, but it was one that had lost its first passion It was still a gifted church, did work, did a lot of work, was praised for their consistency and not fainting, but they had lost their first love. The love that they had, that had moved them to do whatever was needed to live for God. You know, God warns them that without love, being restored as it was in the beginning, that he's going to come quickly and he's going to remove their testimony as a church. Nothing is more important to God than love. It reflects his very nature, and really it should be the very nature of us as believers. It will be by his love that all men will know that we are his disciples. You know, even um, Sigmund Freud, who I don't necessarily um, advocate you go read, but he stated it this way. He said, love is the first requirement for mental health. Love, that feeling of being loved. Being gifted is great. Having all the wonderful programs, that's fine. But you can have all of that stuff, and if you don't have love in your heart, it's all for nothing. And that's where we get to tonight with this text, is that without love, I am nothing. I find it interesting as as we look at this passage again and we start studying this this scripture, I think everything tonight that that, uh, we're going to discuss is found right here. I could go all throughout different scriptures. We can talk about how the fact of, you know, 1 John talks about that God is love, the, the very definition of God is love, and love is really only found in God. And that's very important and very true, and, and we're going to set that, that base. But tonight I think we can kind of jump to this passage, and it's going to really speak to us this evening. At least I pray it will. You know, as, as Paul is, is talking to them, and if, if you look at this passage of Scripture, you, you kind of you wonder, if you're reading a book, it would almost 
feel like chapter 13 is kind of like, why in the world is that right there? Because chapter 12 talks about spiritual gifts. It talks about the body of Christ. It talks about using spiritual gifts for the body of Christ. And then all of a sudden he hits chapter 13, which is most of us know as the love chapter. And then chapter 14, he goes right back into spiritual gifts. So you're kind of thinking, what's this doing here? But it was vital, especially for this Corinthian church. That it's right here. See, Paul's not trying to teach the church at Corinthians that they should choose between gifts or love. He's trying to teach them that all the spiritual gifts, all gifts that God gives, must be qualified by love. Everything. The most excellent way he that that's the the end of of this thought because if you jump back up to chapter 12 it says now you are the body of christ verse 27 and each one of you is a part of it and god has placed in the church first of all apostles second prophets third teachers then miracles then gifts of healing of helping of guidance and of different kinds of tongues are all po- apostles are all prophets are all teachers do all work miracles do all have gifts of healing do all speak in tongues do all interpret well, the answer to that obviously is no but then he says this now eagerly desire the greater gifts And then he switches tones, and he goes, and now let me show you the most excellent way, the way of love. Paul's saying, let me show you how to use these spiritual gifts. Let me show you the the purpose of these spiritual giftings. Because you see, Paul recognizes that the gifts would only divide the church or make individuals arrogant if they weren't built on the foundation of love. And the church at Corinth, studies tell you that that's exactly what was taking place. If you'll read the, the book of Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians, you'll understand something about the Corinthian church. Number one, you're going to understand that it's pretty messed up. They had become and accepted Christ, but they had kept most all of their worldly thought processes in the middle, and so they tried to combine the thought processes of both. And how many of you know that the world and God don't do that? You can't take worldly values and godly values and mix them together and have a church that doesn't work that way. And so what they were doing as it regard to this idea of spiritual gifting was they were judging one another and how awesome they were by the spiritual gifts that they had. So if Michael here had the gifts of tongues and interpretation and healing, and I only had the gift of knowledge... Michael was higher on the social status than I was. You understand where I'm going with that? That was their mindset. That was the way that they looked at this, was the fact that these spiritual giftings were the very thing that that made you mature, but the reality, what Paul is saying, listen, those spiritual gifts are wonderful as they use in the body of Christ, but if you don't have love when you're doing them, it means nothing. 
The gifts of the Spirit had become a status symbol. And the church had become divided and spiritual pride had spilled over into many people that were in the church at that time because they were great at exercising these gifts, they thought, but they were not great at exercising love. Paul's asking them to give up the gifts. He's not asking them to give up the gifts. He's just asking them to quit practicing them out of the context of God's love. He says, let me show you the most excellent way. I want to talk just a little bit as we continue on in this passage, and I'm going to pause here after, after this segment, but so if you do have some thoughts or questions, just hang on to those for just a minute. But as, as you look at chapter 13, and, and you begin in verse 1, you, you see this. We're going to read verses 1 through 3 again. It says, if I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast but do not have love, I gain nothing. Paul's explaining here that these spiritual Holy Spirit gifts without love have no value to the church. Um. Notice what he does here. He says, if I speak with the tongues of men of angels. I want you to look at the, Paul kind of gives some extremes here. I want you to catch this. When Paul looks at, and we're talking about corporate spiritual gifts here, that edify and lift up the body. And so Paul says, if I speak with tongues of men of angels. Now, if you read Paul's writing, you understand that as, as far as Paul was concerned, the the gift of speaking in tongues in a, in a corporate setting was low on his, I don't know, scale, I guess. And so he's saying, listen, if you have this gift that is, is right here in, in his mind, and now we just read in chapter 14 about the gift of prophecy, right? And, and he says, then he says about the gifts of prophecy, he says, desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. So he puts that one up a little higher. So what Paul is saying here, he's saying whether you do the lowest, what would you consider the lowest or the greatest, it doesn't matter because if it's not, if it's not motivated by love, it's just nothing. Either extreme must be dismissed to have any value in the church if there's no fruit of the Holy Spirit evident in each gift as it gives to these people. So without love, none of these spiritual gifts mean a thing. You know, following um, this idea of of, uh, um, extreme, I, I want us to look at that. He says, without love... You're just making noise. <laughs> You're just making noise. Have you ever hit a gong? Have, have you ever hit a gong? A gong is the only, there's only one good use for the gong, and they found it when they had the gong show. 
that is really about the only good use for a gong because the, the sound of a gong is, you know, it's, it's almost like time's up, boom, right? And, and when you hit that thing, it reverberates like crazy. Have you ever, have you ever um, heard somebody play drums and they hit a, what we would call a clanging cymbal? A clanging cymbal. It doesn't have the sharp crash, but it's got that clang type thing to it. You know what I'm talking about? It's very annoying. And I don't think it's just annoying to drummers. Because when somebody hits that cymbal and it happens, I just, oh, wow. They missed that one, right? He takes this thought of a clanging cymbal and a resounding gong. And he puts that to a spiritual gift. And that what your spiritual gift sounds like if there's no love to it. These people in in Corinth would know that very well because he said, basically what he's saying is this. There were two... um, false gods, two Greek gods that were very prevalent in that day in Corinth. Um, One of them was um, Sybil and the other one was Dionysus. And whenever they would start their worship service for these particular gods, what would they do? Hit a gong and hit a cymbal. And so what he's saying here is this. If you don't have love in your heart, you are no different than the pagans who are worshiping down the street. If you don't have love in your heart as you're giving these spiritual gifts, if you don't have love in your heart for for people, if you don't love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love people, and you can do all of these wonderful things and have all of these talents, but they mean nothing. Because they will come across just as that resounding gong. They'll come across just as the one who was worshiping a pagan god. Who haven't, when there's no love in there. They would, whenever they would come to worship these two, they would sound these large gongs and clang these cymbals. But it was a worship for empty idols. From the very least of the gifts to the very greatest and everything in between, with no love, it was a waste of time. And it was just making noise like the other idolaters. Notice carefully what Paul says about this, that those who have all of these gifts but don't show God's love are really nothing. It doesn't say that he have nothing. Did you catch that? It doesn't say that they have nothing. It says that they are nothing. There's a difference. Have is what we possess. It's what I have. You know, got some really cool things that I like. But who I are, that's an Indiana term for you. Who I are, that's who I am. That's me. And he doesn't say that they have nothing. It says that they are nothing. He says, I am nothing. And that would have been a real slap in the face. 
for those people who, who thought that these spiritual gifts were important and that's how they judged one another. <clears throat> and instead of using that as the, the measuring rod, Paul says, listen, the, thing that, the only thing that we can measure, the only thing we should be measuring is our love for God and our love for one another. You know, I think that in, in sometimes in the church world, we, we kind of we think that we're more important than we really are. And, and I think sometimes we, we, we get this idea that, man, I am I'm pretty good. Man, I'm, I'm all that in a bag of Doritos, right? But God says it this way. He says, in reality, you're nothing. And the only way that you're going to measure, the only way I'm going to measure you is how much you love me and how much you love people. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter how many talents you have, how much ability you have, how many spiritual gifts you have. None of that stuff makes a difference. God's going to look at you and he's going to say, did you love me and did you love people? Because those are the two greatest commandments. There's a passage in Matthew, I believe it's in Matthew chapter 7, and, and Jesus is talking here as part of the Sermon on the Mount, and, and there's going to be those people that come up to him, and they're, they're going to say things like this, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We prophesied spiritual gift. We prophesied in your name. We did all of these great things. And he's going to look at them, and he's going to say, you know what, depart from me, because I didn't know you. It's not measured on things. It's measured on love. Without love, nothing. He goes into another extreme here as well. He says, the man who gives all he possesses to the poor. He says, if I give all I possess to the poor. Let me kind of give a little um, original Greek here, kind of sheds a little light on this. The verb tense has this meaning that a man took his whole fortune and at a single moment in time divided it up into small portions to give to lots of people. That's kind of what the Greek tense of this word means. And the reason he did that was to maximize his appearance of being able to give all that he had to as many people as he could. You know what I'm it's kind of like the, the person who would uh, put all of their wealth and try to give it away to people. And the reason wasn't because he wanted to give it away. The reason was because he wanted more people to like him. It wasn't because he loved it. It was because it was a selfish in nature. In other words, the deed was done for self. It wasn't done out of love. The Greek word itself here is the same word that Jesus uses when he dips and um, I believe it's called sop, S-O-P, and he hands that piece of bread to Judas in the Gospels. The man's looking for admiration of others, not an act of love. 
Paul point, Paul's point here might have been directed to some in the Corinthian church that it appears to do things for personal glory instead of out of love for God. Hmm. We don't do things for personal glory. I know we're all more holier than that, right? We don't do things because we want patted on the back. And don't get me wrong, being encouraged and patted on the back, that's a good thing. We should be lifting up, we call it by that Sunday, encouraging one another, lifting one another up. But that's not why we do things. Paul adds one more example of, a, of, uh, of extreme here, and, and then we're going to just kind of talk here for a minute. Um, this example is, he says this, if I give my body over, the heart, over to hardship, um, there's a, a, one of the translations says this, a man who would give up his body to be burned. Burned. In Paul's day, that was considered the worst way to die. And so a man would choose willingly the worst way to die in, in the uh, so that he would have been admired as a great martyr. But he says here, even that without the act of love is valueless and self-serving. It takes more than, uh, more than just giving of your life. And so he says, personal giving and personal gifts and personal spiritual gifts and personal sacrifices without love leave us with these things. Gifts without love, I'm nothing. Sacrifices without love, I am nothing. And even in Indiana, nothing plus nothing equals nothing. And so he says, hey, listen, I need to show you the most excellent way. I need to show you what this is really all about. That love must be the foundation of not only the spiritual giftings of what that we're talking about here in chapter 12 and 14. Love must be the foundation of your life. It must be the foundation of the body of Christ, the church. It must be the foundation of everything. Because without love, you're nothing. Yeah, love is some of the things we're going to talk about here in a minute. As we get down the list, love is um, selflessness. He, he does. He defines what love is throughout this book. God demonstrates his own love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Good. All right, let's dive into that. Chapter 13, verse 4. Paul moves from the negative examples of those who lacked love to a positive example of what love does and the power of what love is. Let's read some of those. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. Is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now you'll notice as you look through that list 
Some of those are kind of difficult to swallow, aren't they? Some of those are a little difficult. I mean, some of those go against the grain of our <laughs> emotions, our feelings. It's totally opposite of revenge, right? Keeps no record of wrongs. It's patient. <laughs> patient. It's kind. Even when it's not popular to be kind. Even when it's not easy to be kind. Love is kind. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not about getting above. It's about staying below. It's about being a servant. It's what Christ said, right? He didn't come to, to be served, but to serve. Hmm. Could you imagine if the body of Christ demonstrated this kind of love? Could you imagine what would happen in our world today if we all demonstrated this kind of love? I'm going to be honest. I'm looking through that list and I'm like, ooh. Mm. Oh, okay. I got that one down. Oh, no, about some of these. Oh, I had to work on some of this, right? And if we're all honest, I'm sure some of these things are difficult for us. Always protects. Always trusts. Trust is a big issue for a lot of people. Love always trusts. And it always hopes. It always perseveres. My goodness. Freedom from just, I mean, just the thought process in this for me, sometimes it's just the freedom from being angry alone. <laughs> when it comes to uh, developing that in your, in your heart would go a long ways in healing a lot of people and freeing them from um, and, and healing them of all kinds of emotions that they've gone through. And, and I stopped to think that, man, my priorities of my life would probably fall in line a whole lot more easily if I practiced these things. Hmm. Paul explains, and he says, listen, these attributes, if they are practiced, love will be the real evidence of it. I mean, these kind of things here, as he's going through this, think of what we just talked about. Think of what the, the thought process in the Corinthian church was. And then he gets to chapter 13, verse 4, and he starts to spell this out. And he says, listen, love is not self-seeking. Love does not have a status. Love is not built on, ooh, I've got more spiritual gifts than you do. It's not love. Love's not selfish. 
And then he goes on, and, and I love this passage in, in, as he goes on to talk about this idea of, of spiritual gifts. He comes back to that again in verse 8. He says, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. What he's saying here is this. Love is what's eternal. The other stuff is temporary. Love is the thing that's eternal. Spiritual gifts, all those things, he says, prophecy and, and tongues. And, and uh, uh, he, he says all of that stuff, knowledge, all of that stuff is temporary. There, those gifts exist for the here and now. But they will cease when Jesus comes back. They serve a purpose for the church now. But whenever that takes place, it will be over because love is the only thing that endures forever. It doesn't pass away. All of those things that he talks about here are wonderful. All of those, all of those spiritual gifts are, are great. All the things that we do for the Lord is, is noteworthy, and it's, it's great, but the idea here is that all of those things are temporary. The only thing that lasts is eternity is love. I mean, think about it for just a moment. If you are, are the person that just does something for somebody just because you want them to, to see you, or you're just doing something to fulfill a role, and there's no real love for that individual, they know that. They know that. I can come up to somebody and say, I've got a spiritual a, a word that God gave me for your life, but if I don't have love for you, what does that matter? The kingdom of God is more than just these ideas of what we do, it's who we are. And if you'll read your text, if you'll read the scripture from cover to cover, you will find that there is one thing that is constant, and that is this idea of love and relationship. Because God desires for us to have a love for him that is so on fire, so passionate, so intense, that it drives us to the place of being passionately running and chasing and going after him all the time. But our sinful nature doesn't want us to do that. It wants us to be more consumed about us. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. He talked about marriage counseling and, and that kind of thing. And, and I've done my fair share of some of that too. Not probably as much as you have, brother, but I've done some of it. And I will say this most of the time. I'm not going to say 100%. I'm just going to say most of the time. When marriages cease to work, it's because we stopped thinking about the other person and we only started thinking about us. What do I want? This isn't working for me. This is not what I thought it was going to be. 
and we stopped the relationship aspect and we started just making it selfish. And the sad thing is that same parallel happens in our relationship with God. Because all of a sudden we start thinking, well, God, you didn't do what I asked you to do. God, you didn't answer my prayer the way I thought you should have. God, I don't know where you are. I don't feel you anymore. As if God's on some puppet string for us to do what we beckon call for him to do. And the moment we stop, your relationship with God stops being about relational connection and starts being about what God can do just for you, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. And what saddens me, and I'm going to get on a little soapbox here a little bit. Is that all right? What saddens me is we hear so many things preached that say, well, God wants you to have this big car. God wants you to have this awesome thing. God wants you to, you know what God wants you to have? Him. God's not concerned about the stuff I have. The thing He wants me to have most is Him. And if I will seek after Him, all of those other things, He says this, all those other things I'll take care of. That's my paraphrase of Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But I'll go after Him. See, that's what love is about. Love is about relationship. Love is about the eternal. When you build friendships and you build relationships, that's why it's so important, even no matter what the size of our congregation is, no matter how big the Lord allows us to get, the the awesome thing that we must do is build loving relationships with each other. That it's not just about what you can do for me. It's not just that Michael builds these huge, great Steeler artwork stuff that I've got in my office and what he can do for me, which is amazing. I love it. But the idea is, is that this is not about what we can do myself. It's about the love that we would have and share for one another. Does it make sense? And I think far too often, we take the approach of, oh, I'm not going to get to know them because they're a different age than I am, because they're a different demographic than I am, because they're a different whatever than I am. And we take this approach that says, I'm going to keep them at arm's length. I'll be cordial. I'll shake their hand during greeting time. Hey, what's up? Good to see you. But I have no intent on building any kind of relationship with them because it's just about what I need. And that's a danger in the body of Christ, my friend. It's a danger. I stopped to think, and, and you know, this is something that really challenged me. A long time ago, somebody said that. What if Jesus treated you that way? Whew. Because I can be honest with you. He don't need me. 
I need Him. And so this idea of relationship, this idea of eternal things, building on things that are eternal, that's what he's talking about here in this passage. He says, you know, all of those things, all those spiritual gifts, all the stuff we talk about, man, those are temporary. But someday, the love is going to last. The love will last. Any thoughts? Yeah. 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 And which one is the one that we want to be around? You know, I, I stopped to think, um, you know, he goes on. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I was moving forward. Sorry. Anybody else? <laughs> sorry. I got kind of just moving right into it. I mean, you just think about it. God created man for what? Relationship. Man fell, and as soon as man fell, God made a promise to man to do what? Reconcile relationship. Jesus comes to do that. Now, the thing that God gives us is this idea that we don't have to. We have a choice. He doesn't make us love him. But man, when you do, and you go all in, it's love, man. Yeah, it's good. All right, let's finish this, this thought process. <clears throat> he goes on to, to make this thought. He says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Um, you know, think about kids. Kids are concerned about what? Themselves. <laughs> what they want. Their immediate needs, right? Kids are selfish. Is that what we're saying? Oh, my goodness. Kids are selfish. Well, it, usually, I mean, unless... <laughs> Unless you have like this super spiritual kid, um, most of the first words that were kid were what? Mine. Mine. No, mine. Right? And so th- that's, that's pretty true. Um, you know, this is uh, <laughs> also with kids. If you were to, um, with a little kid, if you were to take a nice piece of chicken and and green beans and all the trimmings and put it in front of them. And then you, on the other side, you put like this big old Snickers bar. What are they taking? It's the candy, right? They're taking the candy most of the time. Now, we were really blessed. Our kids, um, like for um, their birthdays and stuff, we'd always take them out to dinner. And we'd always let them pick the restaurant, you know, because we always thought, you know what? Where are they going to pick? You know, nine times out of ten, we're figuring we're going to end up at McDonald's, right? Why? Because you get the little toy. It's not about the food. You get the little toy, and you get the little bag of whatever, little animal cracker things or whatever you can get. And, man, they were good. 
But my kids, they were awesome. Once we got past like two or three years old, they were like, where do you want to go? Let's go to Olive Garden. What? Are you kidding? Sweet. Your mom did good with you. Right? Well, Paul's saying this. When I was a child, I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. I wanted the candy. I was selfish. I wanted just the things that that satisfied me. But when I became a man, when I started that growth of maturity, when I started down that path of discipleship, when I started growing in my, my relationship, there it is again, when I started growing in my relationship and my love for God, what did I have to do? I had to put my selfish, childish ways behind me, and I had to grow up. And I had to realize that life wasn't just about me. I had to do that. When I was a child, I thought like a child. It's hard for kids to think beyond the right now. Paul says, all this stuff is important, but man, there's a bigger issue here. I put away those childish things. I put away that selfishness. And at some point, it was time for me to just grow up. Mm. Can I meddle just a minute? We got a little bit of time left. I'm going to meddle just a minute. Something that really bothers me with people who have never grown up in the body of Christ. Oh. Now I know I'm preaching in the choir tonight. But the idea that, man, I've been, I've known Christ for 30 years of my life. And you know just as about as much now about Jesus as you did 30 years ago. Because you never grew up. And so what happens, all of a sudden, something happens, and the devil always makes sure something happens. And then all it's, it's like, oh, man, well, they said that, and my feelings got hurt. Or they did that, and I can't believe they did that. Or I was going there, and nothing, I didn't get nothing out of it. And I didn't find nothing here. And I didn't find nothing there. And there's one thing, there's a, there's a common pronoun that you found in all of that, didn't you? I. And we never put aside selfish ways and grew up to where the love that we have, oh, we'll say we got love. Man, I got all kinds of love. Until it's time to put it onto the test and see where we're actually at. Now, discipleship is a process. We all know that. None of us have arrived. None of us will ever arrive until the day he calls me home. That's when I arrive. Whenever I get to my mansion, whenever I get to the place God's prepared for me, whatever that looks like, and he gives it to me, that's when I've arrived. But right now in the process, we're all in this process. But I challenge you with this, and this is what Paul is saying here. 
He says, when I was a child, I reasoned like a child. I thought like a child. I acted like a child. But when I became a man, when I started to grow up, I had to put that selfish way behind me and start to grow in my walk, in my relationship with Jesus. I had to love. I had to practice these love traits. Love is patient. Love is kind. Doesn't envy. Doesn't boast. Isn't proud. I had to go through all. It keeps no record of wrongs. I had to grow into that. Doesn't happen immediately. But I should be growing in that. My prayer for each one of us that sit in this room, and I'm going to close tonight with this thought. My prayer for each one of us in this room is that your relationship with God by July the 12th, 2018 is farther along than it was July the 12th, 2017. Because you have grown in relationship. You have grown in love, in eternal things. It's not that you possess more spiritual gifts. It's not that you have more things to put on your belt. It's that you love Jesus more than you did yesterday. It's that you've read his word and grown in him and know who he is and what he's about more than you did yesterday. And it's this idea of growth that not only builds a strong church, but it builds a Christian who develops a, not only a passion and love for God, because when you get this right, God puts it in your heart to do this right. And once you start doing this with greater passion and greater intensity, you'll start impacting the world, because this is an automatic byproduct of it. It is. Because you get so full of God and his love and who he is that it just can't help but to go this way and touch people. But remember this. Without love, you're nothing. You're nothing. So Father, tonight I pray, help us this evening. Help us tonight to love you more. Help us tonight to take our relationship with you and to be passionate about it again. Help us, God, Lord, to grow and to move forward in our walk with you. Help us, God, as we build relationship and we try to do uh, show the love of you to other people. Help us, God, it's always a struggle in us to want to defend our rights. It's always a struggle in us to want what we want and what's in it for me and all of these things. But God, I pray tonight, help us to put aside those childish, selfish thoughts and help us to grow in you to where life is about you. It's about relationship and passion for you. And you'll take care of all the rest. God, I thank you. Thank you for our study tonight. Thank you, God, for the time that we've been able to share and spend together. We praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.